gifted teacher. Uh, God has placed him very strategically and given him a great team around him as well too. So when I met with Mike too, I was very excited because I could see already that God was at work in a wonderful way. And so it's a joy for me to, to partner uh, with you uh, over the course of this weekend. It's been a joy to come. I am from Edinburgh, Scotland, but I now live in San Diego, California. Uh, so people um, in California are, are learning to, to deal with the Scottish accent. But uh, there are certain things I cannot buy in California. Uh, for example, anything that has the letter R, because Scots roll their R's. And they don't do that in San Diego. So I would go in San Diego to a a store, and I would say, oh, please, could I have a brownie? (laughs) And they would just look at me, and I'd say, a brownie. And they would just look at me and be shaking their head. And I'd be pointing at this little brown treat, this little brown cookie kind of thing, and say, a brownie. Still no response. So I'd have to look around, make sure no one was watching, and say, could I have a brownie? At which point they would reach in and give me the brownie. So no one back home is allowed to know that uh, I'm slightly bilingual. But when when a brownie is at stake, it's incredible what you're willing to do sometimes. But this weekend has been really special, and we've looked at a number of things. But one of the, the themes, and I was so impressed with the church creating the cover of the book for this size, that the artist that I worked with on this project for this new book Uh, is actually in Hong Kong. She's based in Hong Kong, wonderful, godly woman. And so I sent her a picture of this uh, cover of books. So she was saying too, wow, this is fantastic. This is life-size almost as well. So it was great to see that. And the reason I wanted to write this book particularly, there's a couple of books. I don't know if we have copies of, of my other book, but certainly this book was written for a very specific purpose, and that is to reach people who are unreached and hard to reach. I know many people who will never read a Christian book, and some of those same people will never go to church, and they won't even have a conversation about the gospel. They're very hard to reach, and they're good people, people I care about, and I pray for them, but I sometimes think, Lord, I'd love to say something as well, but it's hard to say something because they're busy, maybe they don't have a lot of time. And so this book is a project to reach people that are hard to reach because it's a story. And it's an illustrated story about one girl's journey. And this girl finds herself lost. She's looking at life, and she's looking for answers. And she doesn't know where she came from. She doesn't know why she's here, and she doesn't know where she's going. So on the course of her journey, there are two characters that appear in the story. And one gives her answers to those questions from a godless perspective. If there is no God, he helps answer those questions for her. He says, well, you came from nowhere, you're here ultimately for no reason, and you're going nowhere. Really, those are the real hard facts according to a godless worldview. Now, sometimes we can uh, kind of not focus on those things, and we can try and distract ourselves by other things, but those are some of the hard facts that flow from a universe where there is no God. Now, maybe those are just harsh facts that we have to deal with, but it raises a question in her mind as it raises a question in my mind, is why do we expect more? Why is it that we, we feel that we're more than just the byproduct of a cosmic accident? Why is it that we have an expectation that life ought to really mean something? Why is it that we have a desire that there's hope for the future? Where do these hopes and expectations come from? Well, there's another character in the story who comes alongside her and says, well, there's another way to look at the world that answers those questions differently based upon what the Bible has to say. And the Bible says that we are not the byproduct of a cosmic accident. We're specially created by God and made in his image. Every person is stamped with absolute value. There's a meaning to life. There is a reason that we're here. There is a purpose. And that is for us to experience what it means to be reconciled to God, the creator and the created brought back together into a relationship and to live in relationship with the creator of the universe. And also there is hope for the future because this creator who created us, made us in his image, longs for us to be in a relationship with him, to be part of his family, not just for now, but forever. And so this girl discovers those pieces seem to fall into place. They seem to fit together. 
And she understands the gospel on this journey. And so the book basically is to help people understand the big picture of what the gospel represents. So it is a story, but there's substance to it as well. And so we're excited about this because we know there are many people in my life, like I'm sure in your life too, that need to hear. They don't know. And we don't want to bash them over the head. We're not trying to twist people's arms. We just want to communicate what the gospel has to say and a way that they can understand it. And so we've looked even possibly at doing translations of this and working with other organizations to get this into the hands of people who still need to hear the gospel and to understand what it means. And that is my passion. My passion is just being a messenger, just being a communicator. I didn't come up with the things that I talk about. I'd love it if I did because it's amazing, but really it comes ultimately from the Bible. It comes from the mouth of God. And so I'm just a messenger. I'm just a communicator. But I'm responsible because things that God has revealed in the world and made known to me were not just for me. I can't stick it in my pocket and say, this is a great treasure. God says, no, 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 Alec, you need to give it away. And other people need to give it away. We need to share it with other people. And that is certainly the passion for Reason Why International, the ministry that I serve with. And it's an honor and a joy to work with the church here this weekend because I believe in you. I believe in what God is doing here. It's very exciting. So I just get to come alongside you for a short period of time. And that's a great joy and honor for me. So thank you for allowing me that opportunity. And when it comes to sharing our faith, when it comes to connecting and communicating with other people, there's a verse that we're going to be looking at today and focusing on today. That's a well-known verse, but it really is a key verse when it comes to proclaiming and answering and defending and sharing the gospel. If you have your Bibles with you, if you'd like to turn to 1 Peter 3.15, this is where we're going to be looking uh, primarily today, 1 Peter 3.15. Now, Paul's first letter here uh, was likely written from Rome in the early 60s. Now, we know that according to church tradition, that Peter was martyred in Rome, probably under the persecution that broke out under Nero. And this is in the early 60s when he's writing, and it's not that long before his life was taken. And already he would have a sense that he's in a difficult position, written toward the end of his life. And he wants to write to encourage Christians Christians who were also feeling the pressure, who were experiencing difficulty because the environment they were in was increasingly hostile. So we can see too that this passage translates quite well into many parts of the world today to those who want to stand up and speak out about Jesus Christ are finding there is increasing resistance, increasing hostility to share that message. And so Peter's writing to Christians who are experiencing that hostility. And he's writing to Christians who'd scattered. In the opening verses of this letter, we see that he's writing to Christians who'd scattered. And this scattering of Christians, uh, it was accelerated because persecution broke out against the church. In Acts chapter 8, remember Stephen, the first martyr of the church, he was stoned. And when he was killed, a persecution broke out against the Christians. And many of these Christians, they scattered And so they're in some far-flung places. So Peter's writing to these Christians who have been uh, displaced and find themselves living alongside people who don't believe what they believe. And so there's hostility there toward them. So it's important to know some of the context about this this letter uh, in terms of when it was written uh, so that we can get an idea of how that corresponds to our situation today. But also we want to remember the one who wrote this letter, Peter, someone who's familiar, certainly, with with those who know what the Bible has to say. Peter is probably, in many ways, uh, the most familiar disciple of Jesus. The Apostle Paul is obviously very well known. He's the dominant author of the New Testament. He wrote 13 of the 27 books that we have in the New Testament. But Peter is someone that when Jesus was walking on earth, He was never far behind. He was someone who was very close to Jesus. And there are various characteristics of Peter that I think are helpful. Uh, Certainly someone who was very passionate, but he was rather impulsive, wasn't he? Peter kind of would act first and then think about it later very often. Maybe some of you can relate to that. 
Or maybe uh, there's some spouses that are looking at their spouse right now and just kind of giving them a look too, thinking this could describe you. I know if my wife is here, she'd be looking at you because maybe I can be a bit impulsive sometimes, a little bit too enthusiastic. Also remember, it was Peter uh, who wanted to walk out on the water to Jesus. This incredible episode where Jesus was walking on the water and Peter said, can I come out in the water to you? And Jesus said, come. And he went and he was actually walking on water and he was making progress, but then he took his eyes off Jesus. He saw the waves and the weather and he started to sink. He started to go down until Jesus reached out and grabbed him and rescued him. However, too, when people were confused about Jesus and his identity, he turned to his disciples and said, you know, who do you say that I am? And it was Peter who responded. He said, you are the Christ. You are the anointed one. You're the Messiah, the one who has come. Peter also said, remember that he would never leave Jesus. He was willing to die for Jesus, only later to deny he even knew him. Peter knew the highs. He knew the lows. He was someone who was broken. But the beautiful thing is that after the resurrection, Jesus gently restored him. And not only restored him, but empowered him. You go to Acts chapter 2, you see the same Peter who was a broken mess, suddenly standing boldly, confidently preaching the goodness of the gospel. This transformation as he was indwelled by the Holy Spirit and empowered to live in a way that was radically different gives us hope. This is Peter, this is the author of the words we're looking at today in terms of God using him to communicate his truth to us. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to read verse 13 through to 16, but we're going to key in on verse 15 today. But look at verse 13. Peter writes, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But Do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. We're going to focus here in this this verse in uh, verse 15. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and and respect. First Peter captures a couple of very important things in terms of living as a Christian. You are called and empowered to live and reflect the life, light, and likeness of Jesus Christ. You're called, but you're also empowered to live in a way that is radically different. You'll start to shine if you have a relationship with Jesus. People who know you will look at your life and see there is something different about you. And that contrast is heightened if they knew you before you were a Christian and then after you were a Christian. That gets people's attention. I was born into a non-Christian family in Scotland. My sister and I I have one sister. My mom and dad weren't Christians. They weren't interested in church, weren't interested in Christianity. By the time I was three years old, my parents decided they'd be better off apart than together, and they got divorced. And my sister and I went to live with my mum. My dad would come and visit us on the weekends, normally when the bars were closed. And I thought this was going to be my life. This was going to be a fragmented family. However, someone invited my mum to church. Now, if you knew anything about my mum, she would be the last person on your list to invite to church. Maybe you're thinking right now of someone that you know that think would never be interested in the gospel. My mom was probably that person. She was only five foot two, little Scottish woman, but very feisty with a bit of a temper, almost a black belt in Taekwondo. <laughs> we have pictures of my mom breaking wood with a front kick. And I think my mom displayed it just to keep my dad in check. My mom went to church. She heard the gospel for the first time and she couldn't believe what she was hearing. My mom knew she'd made mistakes. And she heard this message that the God who created everything, the God who created her, loved her anyway. 
loved her so much that he was willing to send his son into the world to die for her, to take her place, to take all the punishment that she should have on his shoulders so that she could be set free, so that she could actually be free from this burden of sin and be restored back into right relationship with a God who is holy. My mom heard this message of forgiveness, of grace, given a gift she didn't deserve. And it sounded too good to be true. My mom sat there and the tears were rolling down her cheeks. She went back the next Sunday. They gave an opportunity to respond. My mom went forward and she said, I need this forgiveness. I want to follow Jesus. She committed her life to Christ. And she changed. People who knew her before and knew her after said, what is different about you? Everyone noticed something was different. No one more than my dad, who was married to this woman. He was watching and thinking, what has changed? What is it about you that's different? So my dad started to go to church to try and figure this out. Started sitting outside the church, then in the back row, and slowly working his way forward until one evening he went forward too and said, this, I believe this. I need this forgiveness too. My dad committed his life to Christ. The whole dynamic of our family relationship changed at that moment. It was completely different. It was improved. It was so much better to the point that my mom and dad, they they came and said to my sister, and I listen, we want to tell you something. We're getting back together. When I was three, my parents got divorced. When I was nine, my mom and dad got remarried to each other. I'm in the wedding. (laughs) They've got two wedding albums, the black and white version from the 60s and then the color version from the 70s. In the 70s, I'm in that one. I'm the little skinny Scottish boy with a kilt and the skinny legs. So as a nine-year-old boy, I realized this changes people. This changes people. This isn't just a religion you do to feel better or to tick a box. Or This transforms people. That's when I made a commitment when I was nine years old. But you know what? As a teenager, I started to wrestle with things. I started to struggle with my faith because I realized some families don't get back together. And I thought... So much of my faith is dependent upon the fact I had a good outcome in my family. What if my parents were to get divorced again? Now, they never did, but I thought, what if they did? What would I do? Would I have to walk away from my faith? Or what if I speak to someone who said, my parents didn't get back together? Does that mean that Christianity is not for them? And I was wrestling with this as a teenager until I realized when it comes to Christianity, the greatest question is not, does it work? The greatest question is this. Is it true? Os Guinness is a Christian author who said, Christianity does not work. Uh, It's not true because it works. It works because it's true. Christianity is not true because it works. It works because it's true. Christianity doesn't say, listen, try it for size. If it fits, hey, take it. If not, maybe you try something else. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is the only way to God. That's why we need to know. That's why people around the world need to know. But I believed it was true. And so I was able to commit my life wholeheartedly to God and to serve him. And that wasn't just this thinking through these issues, although I engaged my mind in the process. This was something within that the Holy Spirit was stirring up within me. And this is the great thing about sharing our faith. This is not an intellectual academic exercise. I'm not going to give you information that you go and share with someone just so that they seem to change their mind and want to follow Jesus. I'm sharing good reasons to believe that this is true, that you share on the outside. And as you share them on the outside, God is doing something special on the inside supernaturally stirring people, helping them to see that they're broken, that there's a problem, pointing them to Jesus, helping them to grasp and understand the only way to God is through Christ. And then they have a decision to make. Are they going to walk with God? Are they going to walk away from God? Well, my mom and dad decided to walk with God and it had a huge impact on me. Peter says in this 1 Peter 3.15, it starts with, But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Set apart Christ as Lord. 
Early in the letter, whenever you see the word but, obviously there's a contrast here. But set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts. Because early in the letter, Peter's talking about Christians living in a culture. And they are different. And they ought to be different. Christianity, unlike some religious uh, kind of instruction, is not taking the path of least resistance. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you're not going to take the path of least resistance. You're going to take the road less traveled. You're going to take the narrow path. You're going to pick your cross and follow me. It is not going to be easy. It is going to be difficult. In fact, it is going to be impossible. There is no way you can do it without me. But the good news is you won't go without me. I will walk with you. I will empower you. I will enable you. I will equip you. I will help you to live a way that you cannot live on your own. So at the end of the day, you can't pat yourself on the back. You can't take credit for getting to the right destination. All you can do is say thank you because I'm the one that will help you. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord comes first. Peter says Christians don't fit in. They don't blend in. If you're going to be a Christian, you're not going to be a spiritual chameleon. You're not just going to blend into your surroundings. You're going to stand out. You're going to look different. And that's necessary when it comes to sharing our faith, but also we're going to see in this letter some people are not going to like it. G.K. Chesterton, one of my favorite authors, said a dead thing can go with the stream, but only a living thing can go against it. Christians are empowered to live counter-culturally because Christian living is not natural. It is supernatural. It gets people's attention. And as I said, some people are not going to like it. Look at verse 16 again. Keeping a clear conscience so those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. He's saying, listen, you're actually going to be doing the right thing. You're going to be doing good things. And people are not going to like it. Now we can understand that when you do the wrong thing, people don't like it. He said, God's word said, you do the right things for God. Some people are not going to like it. They're not going to like it. Chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. You have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same food of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. He said you live the Christian life alongside non-Christians, and because you don't do what they do, they will be annoyed at you, they'll be angry at you, they will abuse you for you doing the right things. Well, we know from John chapter 3, too, that this light has come into the world, but men have loved darkness rather than light. Why? Because if you are brought into the light, your darkness, your evil deeds are exposed. And so it's more comfortable to stay in the darkness. You don't want to be brought into the light. When you're brought into the light, those deeds are exposed. People are uncomfortable. If you're a Christian... You're going to find pressure from non-Christians. They're not going to like what you do. They're not going to like the fact you don't do what they do. And it's going to provoke persecution as a consequence of that. It's so interesting that particularly in the West today, people can pretty much do whatever they want. It has become so liberal. People can pretty much do whatever they want. And yet it's not enough. You'd think if you lived in a society... In the West, in many countries where you could do what you want, that people will be satisfied with that. They're not satisfied. They don't just want to be able to do what they want. They need to be told they're doing what's right. And they need you to affirm them. I want to live the, 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 my life the way I want to live it, but you need to affirm me and tell me I'm doing what's right. You can't say I'm doing what's wrong. They need that affirmation. They need to feel like they're doing the right thing. That's a bizarre Consequence, why is that? The Bible explains why, because we are wired to know the truth. The wiring is faulty, admittedly, but we're wired to know the truth. And so we still want to, to believe what's true. We don't want to be thought to be living a lie. We don't want just to be able to do what we want. There's something inside us that, that wants to feel like we're doing what's right. Thomas Morris Christian author said this, we find it easiest to believe what others believe. So if we want to believe a lie, we must convince others that it's true. We need comrades in delusion. 
We find it easiest to believe what others believe. So if we want to believe a lie, we must convince others that it's true. We need comrades in delusion. If we're going to live a lie, it's not that comfortable. But if we can convince others to live the same lie, we feel a bit better about it. And we can see this around the world, the way that people primarily are determined to do what they want, but they need other people to tell them they're doing what's right because there's something inside them where God has wired us for the truth. Christian living doesn't conform to this world. 1 Peter 2.12 says this, though. This is the long-term hope. This is the long-term gain. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Even though there's opposition, even though there's a dislike, the hope, the goal is that God will work through you and through me longer term to draw some people to Jesus as they observe the way that he shines through our life. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Set apart This word is sometimes translated sanctify, to be made holy as God is holy. Holy living is impossible without the Holy Spirit. But the beautiful thing is for Christianity, Jesus didn't say, here's a set of instructions. Off you go, do your best, and I hope you make it. He said, I will be with you. The Holy Spirit, who is God in the world at work within us, indwells us, will never leave us empowers us to live a life that is different, that is not natural, it is supernatural. And the beautiful thing about Christian living is that it's inside out, it's not outside in. Other religions will give you instructions. They'll say, listen, try as hard as you can on the outside to be the right kind of person on the inside. Christian living is being changed by God on the inside, and then your life starts to look different on the outside. Christianity is not outside in, it's inside out. And as you live as a new creation in Christ, and he is in you, in John 15, Jesus said, I am the vine, you're the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, he can do nothing. And we know that the fruit of the Spirit, God's love, his joy, his peace, his patience, his kindness, his goodness, his faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, The Christian experiences these things in a supernatural way. God's love, his joy, his peace. These are evidences that God is at work in the life of someone, changing them from the inside out, transforming them. Peter says, set apart Christ as Lord. Put the Lord first in your life. And if you do that, your life is going to look different. And because your life looks different, because it gets people's attention, people are going to be curious about this. They're going to know why. Why is it your life is different? And it creates opportunities for us to explain the reason why. Why we can have hope in a world that has no hope. We need to be prepared to share as a consequence. When Peter says, be prepared... He understands, he's writing about this too. He knows the importance of being prepared and not just saying you're prepared. There were times Peter would say, I'm ready, I'm prepared. Lord, I'm ready to to die for you. But when push came to shove, he wasn't ready. So Peter now is writing to Christians saying, listen, I know the difference between saying you're ready and being ready. We need to be ready because as we shine for Jesus there are going to be opportunities to share about Jesus and we need to be ready. We need to be ready to give an answer, to give an answer. The Greek word here is apologia, from which we get the word apologetics. Apologetics, uh, we've been looking at some of that over the last couple of days. All it means is giving a, a, a reason or an answer or an explanation for what we believe. And Christian apologetics is giving a reason for why we are Christians, why we choose to follow Jesus. Anytime someone would say to you, if you're a Christian, can you tell me why do you believe that stuff? As soon as you open your mouth, you're doing what's called Christian apologetics. You're giving a reason. And those reasons could be a whole whole host of different things. Um, But again, there's things that we can share 
And the good news is, too, is that we don't need to know everything to know the truth. And we don't need to be able to answer every question to share our faith. This idea about the jigsaw puzzle as well that we've been talking about this weekend, and Mark referred to it as well. I found that the jigsaw puzzle has been a great way to have conversations with people because it starts with taking this broken world and creating a comparison with a broken jigsaw puzzle. It's quite easy for people to look at life and to see that it resembles a broken jigsaw puzzle because the world's in a mess and we're surrounded by all these broken pieces. I'm really not too sure what to do with them. However, I grew up with many people, and I'm sure you know people like this too, who say, if the world is like a broken jigsaw puzzle, we're surrounded by all these broken pieces, but there's so many of them, there's too many to count, I'm really not sure what to do with them. In fact, the one thing I do know is we're never going to find all the answers. And if we're never going to find all the answers, is there any point even asking the questions? If we're never going to find all the answers about this broken world, is there any point even asking the question? Is that not like saying I was speaking to the students at the camp on Wednesday and I said to the students, it's a little bit like one of your teachers saying, I want you to write an essay and say, how many pages? They say, well, you just keep going. Well, is it 25 pages? Just keep going. Is it 50 pages? You just keep going. Is it 100 pages? You just keep going. Who wants to take on that assignment? I'm not even going to start writing that paper. It's never ending. And some people look at life. This world's in a mess. It's like a broken puzzle. They're confused. But they know we're never going to find all the answers. So they've stopped asking the questions. Beautiful thing about a jigsaw puzzle is it gets us back on track. Because I can say to people, listen, life is confusing. It is in a mess. I agree with you. We're never going to find all the answers. But when it comes to a jigsaw puzzle, if you want to see the big picture, you don't need every single piece of a puzzle. If you want to see the big picture, you don't need every single piece of a puzzle. If you can find enough important parts that stand out and fit into place, you can stand back with confidence and say, I see the big picture. I can see the big picture. Even with pieces missing. I look at life, I have pieces missing. Someone might say, Alec, you've also got some parts, you're not quite sure how they fit. I've got some parts of the puzzle, I'm not sure how they fit. But I can fall back on the things that stand out, snap into place. And there is more than enough that I can stand back with confidence and say, I can see the big picture. I believe I know where we came from, why we're here, where we're going. And if you can find answers to those three questions, it changes everything, changes everything. Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer. You live like a Christian in a context where there are many non-Christians. God is going to use you to reach the people around you. And he may sometimes do it in surprising ways. A few years ago, I was in KL. I was uh, visiting a friend in Kuala Lumpur. And so I was there doing some uh, teaching at a small Bible school. And I was waiting in KL for my friend. And he was working. And until he, he he finished work, I was waiting around right downtown KL. And so I was just hanging around, just walking around. It's a beautiful part of Malaysia. And then five girls came walking toward me that I could see the way they were dressed. They were Muslim girls. And they walked right up to me and they said, excuse me, uh, could we ask you a question? And I looked around and I said, sure, sure, what is it? Well, we're doing a project for school And uh, we wanted to know if we could maybe ask you a question, and we have an iPad, we're going to record this as well for our class. And I thought, well, I've got time, you know, this is fine, what is it you want to know? Do you believe in God? And I thought, okay, (laughs) what's going on around here? I mean, the place was flooded with people, there's people everywhere. Here's a guy from Scotland, living in San Diego, in Malaysia, brought there to teach about this very subject for just about a week or 10 days, who happens to be in downtown KL, surrounded by many people, and they go and they pick someone, and they pick me to ask this question, basically, could you tell us, do you believe in God? And I'm looking around thinking, this almost sounds too good to be true. But I said a quick prayer, I said, Lord, I can't walk away from this. So I spent by the next 20 minutes talking to these five girls. They were recording the whole thing. 
I wonder one day if I'm going to see this on YouTube or something. I'd love to see it. But I shared with them gently and respectfully. I said, listen, can I tell you why? Not only do I believe in God, but let me tell you about the kind of God I believe in and why it changes everything about the way that I look at life and that I can live with hope. And I've got daughters like you. And my hope for them is that they would see themselves as valued and that they would have hope and that they would have assurance. When it comes to Islam, there's no security. God is transcendent. But there's no security in terms of living their life and gaining access to what is a very different kind of heaven from what the Bible describes. They have to do the best they can. At the end of their life, they will weigh up things and hopefully things will weigh in their favor. I was able to say, you know what? As a Christian, I have hope for the future. I have security for the future because it's not about me. It's not about what I can do for God. It's about what God has done for me. It's not that I can be lovable, become lovable to be loved by God. It's that God loved me when I was unlovable. So I had a great chance to share with these five girls that day. And I have no idea how God used that day, but it was a lovely, warm thing. At the end of it, they said, can we take a picture with you? I said, as long as I can get one with you too. So we all got a picture together, standing together as well. I went to meet my friend after he finished with work. And he came out and he saw me and said, what happened to you? I said, you're never going to believe what just happened. Amazing opportunity. Now, that doesn't happen every day, but that happened. God created an opportunity. And if we know Jesus, God is going to use us to reach people around us. Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer. Be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Uh, I was in uh, Malaysia. I think it, it may have been the same trip. I can't remember. But I, I wanted to go to the Batu Caves. I was around about the time of Taipu Sam. It was just a couple of days before the festival. And I thought, I want to go to this place. I want to see this place. And so I made arrangements and I got to the Batu Caves a few days before this large Hindu festival. And so as I got there, I thought, it's going to be interesting. I wonder what it's going to feel like. Because I know within this place, there are many temples and idols. And there's a lot of spiritual activity taking place there. And I'd seen programs about, about what was going to take place, what was going to happen. But I kept thinking, in Acts 17, the Apostle Paul went to Athens and he was surrounded by idolatry, but he wasn't cowering in a corner saying, Lord, take me away from here. He said, I want to talk to people here today. And I thought, yeah, I I want to talk to people here. So I went to the Batu Caves and I climbed up all the steps and I got into the Batu Caves and I was walking around and I saw some of the Hindu priests, but they weren't interested in talking to me at all. So I was kind of walking around and I'm saying, Lord, would you give me someone to talk to? And so I was standing, and as I was standing, I noticed there was a woman who was over at one of the the little temples, and she was making an offering there as well, and she was a European-looking lady, so I thought, maybe she's the one, I don't know. So I stood there, and she came right up beside me because her shoes, she'd taken her shoes off. Her shoes were right next to me. So she's putting her shoes on. I said, oh, excuse me, could I ask you a few questions? She said, oh, sure, sure. I found out she was a flight attendant for an airline. And that she had gone there and she wanted to make a trip to the Batu Caves and she wanted to go and she wanted to make an offering, you know. So I said, could you just let me know? I mean, why did you come here? What were you doing? So I was curious to find out what she'd been doing. And she was making an offering to win the favor of the gods. So I said, you know, yeah, that's interesting. I said, I, I follow Jesus. And I said, you know, it's amazing that, that I don't have to make offerings to win his favor. But he has given me his favor based upon making me the greatest offer of all. I had a great opportunity to share the gospel with her and to point out the contrast between us earning God's favor and doing what we can so hopefully that he he won't smite us and that he'll bless us. And instead to say, you know, the God of the Bible says he looked down on people who are unlovable, who he should never really uh, have, have reached down to because there's nothing in us that's worthy of that. But he loved us because he made us and he wants to restore us and he, he chose to reach out to us while we were broken and he wants to make us into this, this, this creation, this being that he made us for, so that we can fulfill a purpose and a plan that starts now and goes on forever. And so I shared a little bit about this with her too, and saying, wow, this is how I can have hope. My hope is based on the fact it's not about what I can do for God. My hope flows from it's about what God can do for me and what he has done for me. He's my helper. 
He's my salvation. And so again, a powerful contrast in terms of having security and having hope for the future. 1 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. The amazing thing about the Christian message is that we can have a security and an assurance. We can live with confidence based upon what God has done for us. Radically changes our outlook, changes everything. But let me just finish with this, too, the key part. We must never forget, too. Peter says, listen, you're going to be living alongside people who don't believe this. They're going to look at your life. They're going to see that your life is different. They're going to want to know why. You're going to be shining for Jesus because when you are connected to the vine, the branches will bear fruit. People will look at your life. It will be different. It won't be natural. It will be supernatural. People want to know why. How can you live with this hope in a world that has no hope? People will be provoked. They will be curious. We need to be prepared to share why we can have hope in a world that has no hope. But he says, as we do this, we do this with gentleness and respect. Sharing our faith is not bashing people over the head with the Bible. It's not twisting arms It's not making people talk about it if they don't want to talk about it. But those people who are looking at life and they're looking for answers. Jesus said, I'm the answer and I'm going to use you to communicate this truth to people. I'm going to shine my light through broken people into a broken world to draw other people to Jesus. We need to do this gently and respectfully. I was in Costa Rica. I normally go there. I was there maybe, I think it was last year or the year before. And I was working with some of the students. And the students from Costa Rica, they go to Panama to uh, have a little bit of a break and they renew their visas. And so I traveled with them to Panama. And we stayed in this little youth hostel on a little island in a place called Bocas del Toro, just off the coast of Panama. It's a beautiful location. And we went out, and we're staying in this youth hostel there. But as we stayed, we'd gone out one day swimming or something, and we came back to where the youth hostel was on this island, and there were some yachts that were parked at this marina. And we got this little water taxi, and we got off the water taxi, and we started to walk. And I noticed up ahead there was a yacht that was parked there, and there's a man standing on this dock, and he had a glass of wine in one hand, a cigarette in the other, and the music was playing from his yacht, and he was just smiling and having a great time. And I noticed that as the students started to filter past him, he was getting into conversation with the students. So when I came along past him, he looked at me and he said, oh, are you the teacher for this group? I said, I am. I'm teaching this week. He said, what are you teaching? I said, the meaning of life. Have you figured it out yet? Well, he looked at me and smiled. He said, yeah, I've got that one down. I thought, interesting. So I stopped. His name was Joe. We started to talk. As we're talking, Joe said to me something that I hear many times. I'm sure you've heard too. He said, you know, Alec, I think there's many roads, many ways we can go to get where we need to get, wherever we need to go. There's many different paths. I said, Joe, I understand the attraction of that. Isn't that lovely? I mean, you can just kind of pick any road and you still get to the right destination. I mean, it doesn't work if you go to the MTR, right? Or if you go to the airport. <laughs> we don't, it doesn't really work that way. But I said, Joe, listen. I said, you know, here's the issue I have with that. If you have a physical problem, Joe, if you suddenly recognize you've got a serious physical problem, maybe there's a lump or a bump that doesn't belong there and you're seriously concerned about this, you don't just want to talk to anyone and do anything. Maybe you talk to a friend who says, oh yeah, Joe, do 25 star jumps in the morning and you'll be fine. You understand, Joe, You need to talk to the right person. You need to find who can accurately diagnose the problem and prescribe the right solution. That's the person you need to talk to. It's not a case of just going to anyone anywhere. You need to talk to the right person, the one who can accurately diagnose the problem, prescribe the right solution. I said, Joe, you know that in a physical context, right? I said, why, when you move into a spiritual context, does everything get so warm and fuzzy? I said, for me, Joe, I said, in a physical context, if there's a serious physical problem, 
I need to find the right person who can accurately diagnose the problem, prescribe the right solution. I said, I just want to be consistent, Joe, because in the spiritual realm, the Bible says we have a serious problem. And we need to talk to the right person who can accurately diagnose the problem, prescribe the right solution. I said, Joe, why would you live two different lives in two different worlds? I said, I just want to be consistent in the physical world and in the spiritual world. And in the spiritual world, Jesus said, I am the only one who can accurately diagnose the problem and prescribe the right solution. I said, that's why I go to Jesus. So I talked to Joe a little bit, and I said, listen, Joe, and time was getting on, and the students had moved on. I said, Joe, I'm going to have to go. But I said, Joe, could I pray for you? He said, sure, we'll pray for each other. I thought, okay. So I put my hand on his shoulder. And I started to pray for this man. And I knew as I was praying for him, God was working. And I prayed for him, and I opened my eyes, and his eyes were soft. And he just looked at me, and he just said, thank you. That was all he said. Peter's writing to people saying, listen, you want to say God uses broken people? Look at me. Peter said, I let Jesus down more than anyone. I'd open my mouth and stick my foot right in it. I denied I even knew him. But he said, I've seen the power of God at work in me and through me in a way that blows my mind, that I can't take credit for. If you're sitting here today like me, I'm sure there are times you think, God, (laughs) I'd like to share. I'm not up to the job. Maybe I don't have the right qualifications. Maybe I don't have the right character. Maybe I don't have the right personality. Maybe I've let God down once too often. When we read this, we've got to remember who God is using to write this. There is not one person in this room that God doesn't want to use. And whatever your brokenness is, whatever mistakes you've made in the past, God will turn these around and use them for his good and for his glory so that you're not going to take credit for it. And that's okay. God doesn't want you taking credit for it. You're a messenger of good news that the world needs to hear, that the world needs to know. And God wants to use us to do it. So if you're a Christian here this morning, this afternoon, (laughs) I want to encourage you. And I said this yesterday, it's been said many times. God's not as interested in your ability as he's interested in your availability. Are you willing to say to God, God, you know what? I'm not sure I'm the most qualified. But here I am. Use me. If you're willing this morning, God is going to be rubbing his hands together and say, wow, now we can get to work. If you're here this morning and maybe you're still on the journey, maybe you're still thinking, you know what, maybe I'm still on the outside looking in. But I've seen God at work in ways, maybe through people, and it's got my attention. I've seen there's something about this Jesus that that changes people, it transforms people. It's not natural, but it's supernatural. And maybe today would be one day God is bringing you closer to him. So as we close and as I pray, would you respond according to how God has prompted you today? So would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the way that you have made yourself known and visible and available to broken people in a broken world. Father, in our own hearts, we have resisted you. We've rejected you. We, we want to stay in the darkness because we fear coming into the light. It exposes all the, the darkness in our hearts. And yet there are many and there are times where we struggle in the darkness and we see the light and it draws us. And we know we need that forgiveness. We need that relationship. Lord, I want to pray for every person here today who knows you. Lord, may you remind them from your word that they are uniquely qualified. There's no one else in the world like them. They're unique. Therefore, they're uniquely qualified to be who you created them to be as a new creation to reach the people around them. 
And that, Lord, if they're willing to respond to you this morning and say, God, I don't know how much I'm up to this, but I'm willing, I'm available, here I am, use me. May you use each one to shine brightly and to share that they can have hope in a broken world that has no hope because of Jesus, his life, his death and resurrection. Lord, I also want to pray for those perhaps who are still on the outside looking in. Maybe this morning's the culmination of other events that you've been doing in their life. And maybe they think, you know what, I don't have all the answers. I don't have all the pieces of the puzzle, but maybe I do have enough to see the big picture. That there is a God who made this world and that he made me. And that he sent Jesus into this world to live among us, but then to go to the cross to die for us. And that if God loves me that much, if he's willing to take my punishment on his shoulders, then I need that forgiveness and I want Jesus to to give me that forgiveness so that he would be my substitute. I would claim that, that gift of grace and be brought back into God's family. Exercising the faith and trust that I have to trust in Jesus. And this morning, if that describes you, then then you need to know that if you're willing to not go your own way, but to go God's way and to accept Christ's forgiveness at the cross, then with that simple step of faith, God brings you back into his family. And then you've just started a new relationship with the living God that will last forever. God, if there's anyone here this morning who is ready to do that, to respond. May you seal that decision and help them also to talk to people after the service to to get further encouragement about how to grow in this new journey, this new life. And Lord, for all the things that you have said and done today and through the course of this weekend, we give you thanks. You're at work in the world in a wonderful way. And we give you all the glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Alec. What a perfect start to not just Missions Month, but hopefully Missions Life for us, that we are prepared to go wherever the Lord might lead us. Um, If you've got more questions uh, that you say, hey, I heard what Alec has to say. I'm I'm not sure I, I buy into this idea of following Jesus, but uh, I'd like to do a little more research. We have these available uh, at the back table after the service. It's called, well, it just explains even in a little more detail what Alec just talked to us about. Where did I come from? Why am I here and where am I going? Uh, That's also a famous song uh, that you might have grown up with. But each Sunday, we're going to get a chance to respond. And missions at AIC and missions in general has three essential parts to it prayer. We have to be a people of prayer. Uh, We have to be a people of giving, giving of our time, giving of our efforts, uh, preparing the way. And then we have to to be a people that are willing to go where the Lord might send us. So we say, pray, give, go, uh, in short. So consider what that might look like. Each week, we're going to sing our our theme song for the month, uh, and it's called Facing a Task Unfinished. And I'm going to stand up here, and I am going to put an immense amount of trust in you. Because the worship teams don't know this song yet. Uh, uh, In fact, it was first sung, one of the first times it was sung was at the Moody Pastors Conference when Keith and Kristen uh, sang it with us. So I'm going to invite you to stand. The, The lyrics, the music is all going to be on the screen, and I'm turning my mic off so you do not listen to me. And we are going to sing this song together, but don't just... Sing a song, hear the words. We face a task unfinished, a world needing Jesus Christ, a world needing the reason for the hope that we have in Christ, the reason that we are where we are, and that we will love people with gentleness and respect and walk with them through that journey. So would you stand with me, and we'll close in song, and then I'll give you some further instruction.
together committing that we would go to all the world. Interestingly enough, if you watch the video I is saying the song, many of you have been to a whole lot of those cities because a whole lot of them were in Asia because a whole lot of the world's population is literally right here. Three of the cities I've been to in the past month. What an opportunity we have to give a reason for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. There's no better time than today. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. With that, we're going to continue to reason together, and I'm going to shift gears, and I'm going to do it in two ways. We have representatives of two amazing ministries with us today, Alec McClellan on behalf of Reason Why International, that equips the saints to carry this good news wherever the Lord might have. And literally on some of the darkest, dirtiest front lines of mission work, Eden Ministry, rescuing people in sexual slavery that need to know there's hope, that need to know there's restoration, that need to know there's people that love them and care for them and are praying for them and are committing to helping them. 
And they're both here today, so do spend time talking with these amazing people, not because they're amazing, but the God they serve is amazing and has called them to such a time as this. And we can walk with, we can pray with, and we can support them financially, voluntarily. Who knows what God might invite you to if we would but follow. The third thing we do is as a church, we strengthen one another. And you know how in Hong Kong you strengthen one another? Around a table and with food. And so we're going to do that. So please, whether you came prepared or not, lunch is on us and with us today. If you are big and strong, male and female, would you help us set up? Don't stack all the chairs. Move them so we can set the tables, and the staff will give you some more instructions in just a moment. But join us for lunch, and then at about 2 o'clock, there'll be a special Q&A time uh, with Alec and myself where uh, I'll try to get us talking through what we've learned this weekend one more time. Let me pray, and then we'll shift gears. Lord, you are good. And our world needs to hear of you. May we be faithful to pray, to give of our resources, and to go where you would have us. And Lord, soften our hearts that if there's someone right next to us, right next door to us, or in our sphere of influence, wherever that may be, Lord, please don't let another day pass us by without sharing the hope that we have in you. In this we pray. Amen. You are not dismissed. You are freed up to join us for lunch.